Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Would you like to contribute to the conversation? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition conversation was in. Jay Talking with Bradley Jay. I listen to morning with the sun up. I'm busy. WBZ News Radio 1030. I tune my radio to AM 1030. The radio's all yours now. I talk to a man whose name is Bradley J. Improved my mind in a wonderful way. I just called in to see what condition conversation was in. Yeah, yeah. You're Jay talking. Dean Michael Coyne joins us from the Massachusetts School of Law. Hello, Dean Coyne. Hello, Bradley. How are things at school? Things are great. Things have been terrific, actually. So this is what? This is is the second semester just starting up? Uh, the second semester started a couple weeks ago. We've uh, been pretty busy already. Uh, my students uh, competed in one of the trial competitions, the regional competition, and uh, they came in second place. And so now they'll move on to uh, of the Northeast region, which are all the law schools in New England, New York, and northern New Jersey. Top three teams now move on to the national finals with the other 15 winners from around the country. So it's a, it's a, it was, it's been a good month. Let's start with whether or not the drug companies can, should and can be sued. Right. What do I, you think? I I think they should be and can be and will be and are presently. And I think that's what's interesting. That's why I wanted to talk about it tonight. There's two very interesting cases that are proceeding right now. There is a huge uh, RICO case in federal court in Boston. Uh, it's being prosecuted. One of the lawyers is uh, Fred Weishak, the same lawyer that uh, prosecuted Whitey Bulger which is kind of a, an interesting interplay if you think about it, is that now drug company execs are being sued because of their uh, mobster-type activity. At least I think someone could look at it well, that way. Well, they're drug dealing. Well, they are drug dealing. And uh, the fact is, is they, uh, at least as the government alleges and that the proof so far has seemed to indicate, is that they weren't shy about pulling out all stops in order to get doctors to uh, prescribe this fentanyl spray, uh, which we know is addictive, which we know has ruined uh, numerous lives, thousands of lives at this point, um, in the Commonwealth and, and across the country as well. Well, uh, that filtered down to the doctors themselves? Uh, some of the doctors, one doctor in Chicago has already pled guilty to fraud in, in what he did. Um, but what they're looking at in this case is the salespeople in the top drug company executives, including the president, um, who fostered this scheme to uh, corrupt and bribe doctors to overprescribe the fentanyl when it wasn't otherwise, the spray wasn't otherwise even needed, and really went about uh, an extensive plan of using, as the evidence has indicated, um, taking doctors to strip clubs, paying them for uh, services that they really weren't performing 
if they were uh, their top prescribers for this uh, uh, addictive drug. And uh, what the government says is, is that violates federal law. Uh, in fact, it is a RICO violation, a racketeer influence corrupt organization act that you are violating federal laws by undertaking this scheme and that these folks should go to jail uh, because of the the carnage that they've left in their wake it's a it's an interesting case I don't think it's that extraordinary from the standpoint of uh, likelihood of proof based on what we've seen so far now the defendants obviously will defend the case but but we really should start to look behind, and that's that was my question: is shouldn't we look behind? How did we get to where we are with this opioid crisis, and and who should pay for it? And in part, if the drug companies are profiting at the expense of our children and our family members and our members of our community, and uh, either through by because they're dying or because they have enormous expenses with respect to trying to. Um, get away from the addiction, and, and our communities are bearing some of that cost, then why shouldn't um, the government pursue both criminal charges as well as civil charges for the problems and the financial losses that occur? And that's the other part of it. There's, uh, Mara Healy is also pursuing um, the drug companies, uh, Purdue Farmer is, uh, principally, uh, because the, they knew as they were pushing these drugs, that they were highly addictive, likely to leave all sorts of problems in their wake, um, and didn't care because they were making millions and millions and millions of dollars in the process every single month that these drugs were uh, pushed on people and the doctors were encouraged to prescribe them and overprescribe them. Um, and I guess that's what, in looking at some of this, um, my question was, you know, shouldn't we even be more outraged by this? Yeah, that's a sad thing that we're beyond outrage. The reason is we're, we have an expectation that business is evil. Well, but you know what's a little worrisome in that regard? And I, and I hear that and I, be, I believe that in some respects. But I guess I had always believed that our healthcare companies – our drug companies, our hospitals, and our doctors are not really business people. They are professionals who care about our health. And I know how naive that sounds <laughs> as I say it, especially where I've spent a bunch of hours today in, uh, in the hospital waiting to try and get some help for my son. So, I mean, it's, is, it, is that how we're, we've become, is that we can't trust our health care providers? And I include the drug companies in that. Because the drug companies are making massive amounts of money at our expense. Uh, you know, another thing that's worrisome about that is the uh, I, I'm told by friends who have uh, insulin needs that the cost of insulin is actually skyrocketing and many people are having to decide to forego uh, the use of it simply because they can't afford it. So they... Well, they, they, they play Russian roulette and skip a dose because they don't have the extra money to, to do it right now. And... That's another, I mean, so, and why is that? Why can't after all these years we make the drugs so that the people who need them can afford them? And, and I, especially with the skyrocketing cost of health insurance, some of this to, to, to me just doesn't make sense. And that's why I guess the using the law to try and pull back the curtain on some of this to me is important. That's, that's the vehicle I know. I don't know 
drug recipes, and I don't really know healthcare, but I know that oftentimes that 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 the law can sort of level the playing field, and and something seems to be wrong. The more we look at drug company profits and the unavailability of necessary drugs for an awful lot of people, it seems like business corrupts. Power corrupts. What's the complete power? Corrupts. Absolute power. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you probably take people that might have meant well getting into it, but once you get into the big money, you kind of get corrupted. Like uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Not saying he's corrupt, but you know he's, he starts out as a kid in school doing this innocent thing, and now you start to see things that make you uneasy. Well, and, and we should be uneasy. I mean, that's uh, how much power have we given over to a lot of these large private companies to have access to our most private thoughts and our most private uh, secrets. But, and the problem is, is that, uh, so, but is that is that where we're at? I mean, so we really shouldn't be outraged. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't ask, not just ask for more, expecting them to morally do the right thing, but shouldn't the law provide a remedy, a significant remedy in this regard. And that's that's what struck me as I was reading through a lot of this. Uh, should we more often use our criminal law to make businesses do the right thing because they won't do it otherwise? Businesses need to make profits. That's what businesses do. And if they're not going to do the right thing, then perhaps we use our criminal laws in the event that they stray uh, across that line to 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 tell say you can't hide behind the corporation uh, a corporation acts through its people through its officers and if you're doing things that are improper there is nothing wrong with using then the criminal law uh, to exact the the proper price just as we would by the way if some kid in you know the city was selling drugs and that was causing damage um, the fact is is that this should have been and should be a highly regulated industry but if people aren't complying with the law, then why should they be any different than that drug dealer on the corner who's selling heroin that causes someone to die? And, and, and all the rest of it is that, that we should be able, uh, to a greater extent, to expect people to, to follow the law, not just in letter, but in spirit as well. And I, I do think some of these drug company executives are going to go to jail. Some have already pled guilty. And I also think that we're looking. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Looking at huge, ultimately, civil liability for to clean up a lot of the carnage that they're responsible for. And that's, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. We'll move on to talking about the, the attorney general, the new attorney general bar. Settles in. Well, not yet. Not yet. Getting, had, getting ready to getting settle Getting ready in. to settle in. Right. We'll shortly settle in. And so what is your take on him? Uh, I, I Undecided. I think he's likely, obviously, to, uh, to be confirmed within a relatively short period of time. He has said that he is all for disclosure of the report, which I am in favor of, uh, and not 
impeding the investigation, allow it to reach its natural conclusion, which I think we all would like it to do. Do you believe to do him? that sooner rather than later? Um, I I do believe him, but I recognize that uh, in sometimes like that, I, I'm told I'm kind of naive. I take people at their word. They tell me they're going to do something, or they they say that, and I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, even despite uh, being burned at times because of that. Aren't so, you yeah. surprised he was nominated saying that kind of stuff? Uh, well, but I think the reason he was nominated is because he also said things like, before being nominated, that this Mueller investigation is a waste of time, that it should be cut short. So I think in part, he was nominated because he said different things. During the confirmation process, he said all the right things in order to obtain confirmation, which supports your view of the world is, do you trust him? Because if he said two contradictory things, only right. one of them can be right. Um, but but again, um, I think no matter what, I think he's likely to be confirmed. So this is, this is the lot we have. And I do think it would be very difficult um, to not release the bulk of the report uh, at this point. I also think, though, in, in fairness to everyone's weariness about this, I think the whole it all should be concluded sooner rather than later. I think if you know, at this point there either is or isn't ample evidence to support whatever the charges or the conclusion of the report uh, will ultimately be. And, and I think it's important that everyone be able to take a look at it and make an informed opinion at some point instead of all the speculation that that surrounds the whole thing. Can they just release part of it? Can they redact it? Yeah, they can. And, it's a, you know, there is there's one school of thought says the president can decide how much of it to release, if at all. Now, some of it will be released because I'm sure some of it would support whatever view the president may want of the of the situation. But there, there is an argument that there's likely a lot of confidential information in there, both personally to some of the individuals, but also more importantly, there may be information important to national security that is within the report that legitimately could be protected and should be protected. So part of it is that depends on what the contents are, but I, there is a legally sufficient argument um, that the, that not all of it can or should be released for, for the good of the country, okay. and that's that. That is the you know that's the question is too. Do you do you want to know all the dirty details? Do we need to know, um, in order to be informed in in order to make our own decisions about it? But to some extent, um, it it may well not paint a very pretty picture. Many of us are expecting it won't paint a pretty picture. Um, do you want to know or would you rather be kept in the dark? Soon to be probably Attorney General Barr. Now, he's going to, if he does become seated, he's going to oversee what may be new indictments. Yes. I, and you, this is kind of, you know, kind of new. You, right. You're going to roll this out. This is uh, kind of, kind of <laughs> that, I, that I think the next stones to fall and are likely to be after stone will likely be uh, Donald Trump Jr. and uh, Jared Kushner. I think the the son and the son-in-law are likely the next two to fall here. Uh, and I think in part it's because if one looks at the Stone indictment, uh, the Stone indictment makes reference to a conspiracy involving Roger Stone, WikiLeaks, and some Russian agents. 
It also talks about people in within the Trump campaign who were uh, participating and assisting in with uh, Roger Stone and trying to get that activity uh, underway. If the government can prove that Roger Stone and WikiLeaks and others conspired uh, to corrupt the election, in essence, then anyone who participated in that conspiracy is likely guilty for all of the acts of the conspiracy. I think the Trump campaign at that stage of time was so small, and it was run by such a small core group of people, that it was really basically uh, Trump family members, Steve Bannon, uh, and a few others. You want to add Paul Manafort to the list or take him out, it doesn't really matter. What about uh, Ivanka? Um, I think that's a possibility as well. I, I, I think the bottom line is, I think we're before we're done, and I think it won't be too much further down the road here, we're likely to see that some of those conspirators um, may well be Trump family members. And I, and, and I don't know what that does for everything else. I think some would see it as vindictive um, and not justified, but it would seem to me as if they can prove the charges against Stone— and, and it seems like Roger Stone uh, didn't understand that uh, don't, don't write down what, what you can say and don't say what you can do he, with a wink. How could he not understand that? He would be the first person to say that to anybody. You, you, would, think, you would think, but if, you read, if you've seen some of it already, I'll kill your dog, he makes reference to the Godfather, just absolutely foolish things to be saying when you should have an understanding that the government is watching what you're doing. Um, very, very damning um, statements and evidence that the government has. And that's, that's the evidence we know. I think it's likely that they have, and they've said, they've seized uh, hard drives, they've seized a uh, number of different cell phones. They've got a massive amount of electronic information that likely proves the charges they're saying against Stone. And, and that may well uh, reveal evidence of family members' involvement as well. And uh, I think Roger Stone may well be um, the tip of the iceberg here with respect to nailing down who within the Trump organization was assisting him and encouraging him and part of that conspiracy. And I think we should know that relatively soon. Is the likely indictment of the president's son and Jared Kushner, is that your theory or is that something that is, you know— uh, it's not it's, common. Uh, a common I, theory. I think it's a common theory. I think others have suggested. I know others have suggested it as well. If you look at the the indictments of Stone itself and all of the information that that was within it, with respect to the activities that are being challenged and alleged here, there is no doubt that someone relatively high up in the Trump organization uh, was a, was encouraging them and assisting them to gain this information. Now, some have suggested it's the president himself who was who 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 is uh, Roger Stone is a very very close confidant of for forty years for, exactly for an extended period of time going all the way back to to Roy Cohn. So the 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 relationship between the two of them is significant um, and and close. And so he may have been dealing with him directly. And if not, the likelihood is it was someone in incredibly close to the president, either his son or his son-in-law, or as you point out, perhaps his daughter uh, daughter instead, who was dealing directly with him. I, my feeling is, based on the, the, the meeting 
about the Russian adoption that we know wasn't, that Donald Trump Jr. said was about, I think the likelihood is it falls on the son's shoulders that he was likely working relatively closely uh, with Roger Stone. And before we're done, I think uh, that that may well be the undoing. But I still hope that we're relatively far along in this process, that one way or the other, that report will be released soon. People talk about this being a witch hunt against the president, but that's not Mueller's mandate at all. It's, he's there to look into um, Russian influence in the election. It, of which there appears to be little doubt. Yeah, which, at least, at least they, they absolutely attempted it. The question is, did, did um, the Trump campaign encourage it, assist it, and ultimately conspire with it with them to obtain that help? And we're getting closer to that to the answering that question. So the point. president says no collusion, and there may not be. But that, even if Mueller said there's no collusion, that doesn't mean that the investigation should stop because the mandate is to look into the Russian influence in the election, and he's continuing to do that, con continuing to do that, and indictments continue to come down. So I don't see how anyone can call it a witch hunt. Well, if it's a witch hunt, there's an awful lot of, witches, of witches at this point yeah. with, with an awful lot of charges. And remember, we've said this before, there really is no crime of collusion. The crime is conspiracy. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Conspiracy. And that is, in fact, what Roger Stone has been charged with at this point. So oh, yeah. we're, we're getting very close to answering that question. Roger Stone, who, by the way, was interviewed on this very program at one time. Did, you probably didn't know that. No, I didn't. Yep, he came on here. And uh, he is in trouble. On yes, he is. He's, in, he's been charged with a bunch of things. And I want to share what, with the folks what we were talking about. I made the observation that it seems to me that to Roger Stone, the notoriety that goes with being indicted is well worth for him <clears throat> being indicted. He doesn't care about being the good guy. He just wants to be famous, and this makes him very famous. And I almost think that it's worth going to jail. He's almost happy to, that he'll be doing some time as long as he can give up enough to get a nice, better food, Better jail. They have really nice jails. Oh, sure. And so, and then there's, of course, the the possibility of a pardon. Right. I, I think he's enjoying his moment in the limelight. By all accounts, I mean, I, uh, one weekend he seemed to be on virtually every news show as you moved around the dial on that Sunday morning. I think this is his moment of uh, glory. He's had his time before under uh, President Nixon. And he sees this as an opportunity to put himself back in the limelight, make some money. Um, and I do think he's enjoying the notoriety of it all. And it's, it's You know, Satan worshippers kind of, I feel, get off on it because it's so horrific to everyone else. He, and this is a metaphor. I'm not saying, Roger, that you worship Satan. But metaphorically speaking, he's kind of a political Satan worshiper because he— loves the horror that he causes with it. I, I don't think he has any problem being the bad guy. I think he, he does relish the role. 
And uh, by all accounts, that was at least in part what uh, the investigation has revealed he was attempting to do here. And, um, you know, the one thing that bothers me about this, it's jumping ahead to, to once he's indicted, is that people criticize the FBI for the way in which he was taken into custody? Oh, yeah. We want to get to that. Okay, and I get and I get that. I mean, you know, I get the the reference to why so much power uh, enforced there. Um, but but uh, people of more modest means are arrested with significant power and perp walked out of their houses every single day. They oftentimes happen to be people of color, so no one cares. And the fact is, is if you had if you had threatened to kill a witness, uh, tried to intimidate other witnesses, and there was a concern about the destruction of evidence, uh, then the police uh, and law enforcement would, in fact, uh, not give you the opportunity to turn yourself in like we do with a lot of white white collar criminals, uh, but that they would be concerned that the loss of evidence or the potential loss of life or the injury to others. Uh, would outweigh that sort of the gentlemanly approach to um, surrendering, uh, allowing moneyed people to surrender. I I don't have any problem. Uh, I do think it was a a significant show of force, but I think there were other factors there, specifically likely the destruction of evidence uh, that ultimately was seized during the raid, that that's what they were concerned about as well. You think if he had something that needed destroying, he would have gone ahead and destroyed it before knowing this was going to happen. You would have thought so, but, but if you looked at last last week, uh, last Friday's filing in court, uh, where they sought a protective order with respect to all the information seized, both by way of the uh, warrants and uh, as a result of the search, uh, there's massive amounts of information: multiple cell phones, uh, separate hard drives, computers. Uh, he's got. I think there's an incredible uh, trove of electronic information that they've seized that that likely is going to be uh, his undoing because as we've seen from some of the other pieces of evidence uh, he's a guy that that doesn't know when to just shut up and say nothing what's the rule about finding about stuff they might find that's not included in the warrant um, generally a war- like drugs or stolen materials yeah, or warrant yeah. has to adequately describe both what it is that they're, they're looking to seize and obtain and the premises um, that are to be searched and so as long as they're they were properly described and both the premises and the items um, then there's no problem with the the fruits of that search in addition anything in plain view then that's within that that area they are free to seize as well if they are um, uh, fruits of a crime, and so that's what we would be. That's what they would be fighting about is whether there was information that went beyond the scope of the search warrant, either by way of geography, the you know an additional room that they weren't supposed to search, or the basement, or that uh, was not in plain view, and they nonetheless decided to grab it to see what value it would have. Um, and it's not within the scope of the warrant. So you'll still fight about what was obtained, but the, the likelihood is, I mean, these are thorough professionals. The likelihood is is that they the warrant was drafted uh, sufficiently broad enough that I don't think that's likely uh, going to be a legitimate issue, but I'm assuming that they stayed within the scope of the warrant by, by, by location and the like as well. But again... 
you have a lot of proof already, it would seem unlikely that they would be making foolish missteps with respect to going beyond the scope of the warrant. And Roger complained about the use of force, but he loved it. He well, would he, not want it. He would not want to have been spirited out of back door. He would want what he got. He complained about the show of force, but he also said that the FBI agents were extraordinarily polite. Um, so he felt, you know, that they treated him worse than Osama bin Laden. Um, but the fact is, is that he also said that they were extremely, extremely polite. I, I think Actually, they did not treat him worse than Osama bin Laden. <laughs> so who is dead? <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think it's in the eye of the beholder here. I think I think the uh, bombastic uh, rhetoric is done again to draw attention to his plight, which he sees as worse than anyone else. I mean, the fact is, is that um, not one of the uh, president's uh, cohorts who have been arrested have been unable to make bail and were not free uh, pending either their uh, plea or uh, their trials. Uh, there's an awful lot of people throughout the United States who are held uh, pre-adjudication um, uh, because they can't make bail. So they, you know, they, they're not, they have not been treated badly by law enforcement or our justice system. This is not a legal question, but what do you think about Roger Stone's sense of style? <laughs> I actually like I, I do. I, but, I can't figure out if I like it or not. Maybe you can help me out. Um, uh, there, yeah. Is it is it over the top? Without a doubt. Still, though, but he, he might be able to carry it off. I can't. Oh, I think he can carry it off. I yeah. mean, people make fun of him. You know, he looks like, uh, you know, the Batman's nest next villain and all the rest of it. And and at times he does. Uh, but you know, there's something to be said for style. He certainly has his his own personal style. The um, I, I actually I enjoy I enjoy it. I think sometimes with you know sort of dress down Fridays have become you know T-shirt Thursdays, so that when um, we still dress like like uh, going, At least going to work up, matters. Right? right, right. That it matters how you are perceived and the manner in which you put out your public face. I, I actually enjoy it. He certainly got some beautiful suits and ties and, and pocket hats. squares and hats. He, he, the guy knows how to put on a suit. You gotta, <laughs> get, you gotta give him that. Roger Stone does provide a pretty interesting topic for it turns out for quite a while. So what do we have? What are we looking at for charges? Uh, um, there's actually, it boils down to three, although there are uh, six different uh, counts of uh, lying and making false statements to Congress. Uh, but the other two are obstruction of justice uh, and witness tampering. And uh, both really deal with all of his activities, uh, trying to put an end to um, anyone testifying about his involvement and contradicting his statements to uh, Congress. He, you know, some of the, the threats uh, on witness tampering is that he'd, in essence, kill the guy's dog, that rats die, things that smart people uh, don't say, much less reduce to writing. And the problem with his statements to Congress is all of those statements were recorded, um, they've been transcribed, and they contradict um, some of the documentary evidence that's in the uh, special prosecutor's uh, hands at this point. So what he's done is he, you know, he's made a lot of foolish statements 
uh, with the expectation that they can't be contradicted. But that's why, you know, a lot of times people simply refuse to testify, period, uh, because if they do, uh, the fact is is that they're going to run afoul when they can be proven that those statements are false. That's why I think in part the president has correctly chosen not to uh, testify and not to give statements under oath other than the written statements he submitted. And most criminal defense lawyers, when their clients are facing uh, potential threat of criminal prosecution, they don't cooperate. And the fact I- here is a number of these witnesses that are have been connected to the investigation and the president have, in fact, made statements and have ultimately turned out that those statements were false, and that was the basis for criminal charges against Michael Flynn and others. Uh, so it's it, the fact is is that these statements are have been their undoing. Now, how about the advisability of fast-tracking cases like this. Well, it's what are not, the pros and cons yeah, of this? It's not just this. It's the, the interesting thing is the administration has asked the Supreme Court to fast-track a number of different cases that it's involved in, whether it's DACA, whether it's the asylum cases, whether it's the transgender ban in the military. Um, the normal process for cases when they are challenged uh, or when positions of the government are challenged, or when the government wants to uh, challenge actions of a state or, or other entity, is suits are filed in the district court, the trial court, and then what happens is that the trial court at some point, and usually it's going to take a bit to wind its way through that process, maybe a year or so, uh, has a trial where they then uh, issue a decision that case from the trial court moves on to the Court of Appeals. That may be another year or so at the Court of Appeals level, and they may um, uh, correct the decision of the district court if they think it was an error, or they may uh, allow that judgment to stand if they think it's correct. And then the loser has a chance to ask the Supreme Court to hear it as well. And so, again, we're probably looking at another year. So if you were, even on the, the relatively conservative basis, cases take to get to the Supreme Court, if they choose to hear it, uh, a process of around three years. What the Trump administration has done on a number of different cases is ask the Supreme Court uh, to jump in, to, to get involved and not allow the case to go through its normal process, but instead... Um, to weigh in on it before the Court of Appeals has uh, had the chance. And and that's what's uh, pretty unusual because normally the Supreme Court says, no, we're, we're not, we're going to wait. Uh, let the process take its uh, natural course. And if you don't like the result at that point, you still can bring it here. Now, some argue that the Trump administration is undertaking this sort of short circuit of the normal process because with the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation and now seated on the Supreme Court, they feel that as opposed to some of the appeals courts where they they don't feel comfortable, that their best bet of winning uh, would be at a more conservative Supreme Court than it's been in the past. And the question really, to me, comes up is, is this a good thing that to sort of bypass the normal uh, relatively slow process to allow some of these pretty controversial issues to be heard relatively quickly by the Supreme Court. Um, 
and and that's where the problems come in is that you've got a lot of pretty uh, hot button issues that are would have been winding their way through the courts, and instead we uh, have this administration asking the Supreme Court to jump in before other courts have have had their say on it, and that's kind of unusual from the standpoint of what the law generally requires and wants done because time gives them the in the process gives them an opportunity to correct mistakes before um, they ever have to reach the Supreme Court if that's the case I have a, a pretty shallow bucket list I, I've never done karaoke I want to do that and I also <laughs> I also want to see a case argued in the Supreme Court I've been to the court but there's never been a case have you been to, I, to I, I have not been to the Supreme Court. I've been to many appellate courts where we've argued or have heard arguments in other cases, but I have never been to the Supreme Court of the United States. I've had, I've actually had a couple cases there, but um, uh, they were they they were in the court, but ultimately the court denied cert, so they didn't hear them. But the briefs were filed and the like. Um, I'd but, just be interesting to hear how it goes. I. I think some things about it are surprising, like the 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 number of questions the justices ask and how quickly they go. Oh, sure, is fast from what I understand. It's a, it, it's the process is very fast. Uh, I I agree with you. I think it would be very interesting to see it. The question is though, for for a lot of the very um, high profile cases, you'd have a difficult time getting in. Would you? Except just sort of a run of mill, a run of the mill case to hear it, or do yeah. you want to have some specific topics? That no, I, I would accept run of the mill just to see how it's done. Yeah, yeah, I hear. And you. I wouldn't mind. I'd I'd stay in line three hours, I guess. I what if it opens at eight? I would get there at five, I guess, for yep. something like that. Oh, I I think there are probably many days where there isn't like a hour. lot of difficulty getting in, right? Especially on cold days. <laughs> yeah, DC's had snow. Yeah. So now. You um, bring up the Michael Skakel case. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Well, um, again, you know, this is this. Uh, Michael Skakel now has uh, been found by Connecticut's highest court to have not received uh, effective assistance at counsel. And so he has been uh, released, even though uh, he was previously convicted of the, the murder of his neighbor, uh, Ms. Moxley. And so uh, now the question that Connecticut has is do they want to retry him um, or has the time he served in prison been enough? And what was interesting about the case is Michael Skakel is a Kennedy cousin and there's always been a suggestion um, that in part uh, he escaped punishment for so many years um, because of his uh, access to power and influence uh, of the Kennedys. And so now uh, that the uh, highest court has decided that uh, he did not obtain effective assistance of counsel, uh, the question now gets to Connecticut about whether they should uh, retry him or not. And what's kind of interesting to me about it is is that Connecticut argued that uh, – to say that Michael Skakel didn't get effective assistance at counsel uh, is really foolish uh, because he received uh, more assistance of uh, highly qualified counsel than virtually any 
uh, or most, I should say, most Connecticut defendants get. Uh, if if he couldn't, with his money and his access to power, um, to say that somehow his lawyer's uh, standard of care fell below the norm, that's just not realistic, and it's not it's not accurate. And the fact is is that we have an awful lot of criminal defendants who don't get near the the adequate assistance that he got. And so what again it raises the issue of do we have an unequal system of justice? Do we do we have uh, a system that benefits the the rich and the powerful at, and and others who uh, are people often people of color and more modest means don't get the same uh, justice? And that w- that would be disappointing to think that that is the case, but it'd also be kind of naive to think that's a, that that is not the case. Was there something specific that the defense missed, or is, what are they basing this claim on? Uh, they didn't. I don't think the the def- the defense missed it as much. What they said is that um, his lawyer, who was a well known criminal defense lawyer uh, in Connecticut, uh, that there were two p- potential people who could support his alibi defense. And what they did is they only called one of them instead of calling both of them, which, again, that's sort of a tactical decision that sometimes there are reasons why you don't call them both, that there are reasons why one of them may well have significant problems that you just don't want the jury to hear about. Um, So to me, to say, to hang their hat that that's the basis for ineffective assistance, to me, seems like a stretch. And I'm not so, I think that in similar circumstances, if the individual was someone other than this defendant, I'm not so sure the court would have gone to such a reach. Mike Coyne, thanks very much, as always. Really appreciate it. Always fun. All right. That was another Jay Talking Podcast. If you loved what you heard, like and review the show. It helps others find us. Subscribe to Jay Talking wherever you listen to podcasts and never miss an episode. Follow me on Twitter for show updates. And as always, you can catch the show live every weeknight starting Sunday, midnight to 5 on WBZ, Boston's News Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.